Hello, you're listening to The World According to Ali. I'm your host, Zulfikar Ali, and sitting right next to me is my producer, Justin Boyd. In this broadcast, we are going to talk about the end game in Afghanistan starting mid to end of next year, 2014. The American forces and the ISAF will start leaving Afghanistan, handing the security to the Afghan Security Forces, or ANA. So what kind of difficulties should we be looking forward to? This can't be a smooth maneuver at all. Well, you're looking at all sorts of difficulties, Justin. To start with, Afghanistan, as we all know, is a very complicated issue. We have been in Afghanistan to stabilize that country for over a decade now, and it still seems that it's still up in the air. The challenge is, uh, is it's huge. Unlike Iraq, which had some semblance of normal life, where they had a working police force, working army, working social society like schools and everything. In Afghanistan, when we went in, in uh, 2001, we did not have any of these. So we had to start literally from scratch. Almost 11 years, we have developed a lot of institutions in Afghanistan. They do have a working parliament now, a working national assembly. They do have a police force. They do have uh, an Afghan army but they are still facing a lot of challenges. The objective is for the international community is to stabilize Afghanistan. So by the time the international security forces start leaving, the Afghanistan does not get to its old self, which was anarchy and chaos. And that's a good route for the Taliban. Absolutely. Not only Taliban, but, you know, anytime there's a power vacuum, you know, Al-Qaeda, it seems like, or any other terrorist organization seems to take advantage of that vacuum and tries to establish itself. So what we want to do is make sure that Afghanistan, by the end of 2014, is not only stabilized, but they have uh, a working economy, they have a working security forces. Of course, it's not going to be perfect, but at least we want to have some semblance of a normal life for ordinary Afghans so that they can contribute for a peaceful resolution of their own country. I mentioned we do have a lot of challenges. Uh, needless to say, Afghanistan itself is a big challenge. Like I said, their economy is barely functioning. The Afghan forces are still being trained, and a lot of Afghan forces, they're defecting every day from their own forces for different reasons. When threats from local Taliban officials, some of these Afghan Taliban were able to infiltrate the local Afghan police and the Afghan National Army, the ANA. In the process, they would attack on the NATO forces or the American forces, killing hundreds and thousands, if not more. So that's another challenge. But we also have a lot of other issues at hand as well. We have these regional countries which have a huge stake in Afghanistan. Keep in mind, Afghanistan is a landlocked country, no question about it, but it does connect Central Asian, or I should rather say the oil-rich Central Asian republics with the South Asia countries like Pakistan. Now, uh, Russians have a huge stake in, in Afghanistan, so does the Iranians, uh, the Indians, but none other than the Pakistanis themselves. The Pakistanis have a huge stake in the stability of Afghanistan. What they are wanting to do is have some sort of pliant or a puppet government installed in Kabul, Afghanistan, preferably a Pashtun-led government. Now, we do have uh, quite a few ethnicities in Afghanistan, Justin. We have the Tajiks, we have the Uzbeks, 
and Pashtuns. Pashtuns are the 60% of the whole Afghanistan population. And uh, they also have a large population of Pashtuns living in Pakistan, up in the tribal areas. So that's the reason the Pakistanis always prefer to have a Pashtun-led pliant government in Kabul, Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Then we also have India, which would rather prefer to deal with the Tajiks or the Uzbeks, and they would rather have their own pliant government installed in Kabul, Afghanistan. So you have these conflicting issues, and quite frankly, it's Afghanistan, in my humble opinion, has become like a chessboard for countries like India and Pakistan. Needless to say, we have other countries as well, like I said, the Iranians, the Russians, who are... China. China as well, absolutely, who are pushing their own pawns, but not as much as the Indians and the Pakistanis. Uh, and that's the main reason why we have so much uh, instability still after the occupation of Afghanistan for over a decade. We still haven't been able to stabilize that part of the world. In my hum humble opinion, if we really, truly want to make Afghanistan a peaceful country so that it can represent itself in the 21st century with some sense of uh, uh, normality, uh, we actually need to sit down with countries like India and Pakistan and get them to negotiate or at least come to a peaceful conclusion of Jammu and Kashmir, the disputed uh, land between India and Pakistan, over which they have fought three wars yes. and have gone to quite a few border skirmishes until and unless that issue is resolved, quite frankly, Justin, I just don't see a peaceful, stable Afghanistan. Now, Having said that, the international community, especially the Americans, for lack of understanding or lack of willingness, are quite frankly turning a blind eye to the real issue, which is India and Pakistan, and trying to fix Afghanistan by itself. And that is the reason we still haven't been able to achieve stability in Afghanistan, because we are turning a blind eye to the real problem. Mm -hmm. Afghanistan is just a sideshow. It is a part of South Asia, like I said before, but it has become a battleground for different strategic competing powers in South Asia and in Asia itself. So that's what's going on in Afghanistan. Now, ever since Osama bin Laden was killed in Abbottabad, Pakistan on May 2nd, 2011, Al-Qaeda has started shifting its bases from South Asia to other countries. Africa. Uh, uh, absolutely. We have credible reports that Al-Qaeda has established its bases in Yemen, mm -hmm. which goes by AQAP, Al-Qaeda and Arab Peninsula. Uh, they have recently started establishing some bases in Mali as well, in North Africa. In fact, we just had some reports the other day where they destroyed some Sufi mosques which were quite historic, quite frankly, they destroyed it because they considered these Sufi mosques, uh, even though they're Muslims, to be heretical in its nature. So we still have quite a few challenges. While the international community is still dealing with all these issues, if it was not enough, mm -hmm. we have these Pakistani Taliban coming to the picture as well, which is a Pakistani homegrown terrorist outfit attacking the Pakistani government installations, like the Pakistan army, their general headquarters, and creating a chaos 
in Pakistani markets, bus stops, what you name it, and they're creating a chaos by doing suicide bombing and all that simply because the Pakistani government has sided with the international community and decided to join the war on terror. Pakistani state is uh, already a weak state. Um, a lot of people say that Pakistan is a failed state. I wouldn't go that far, quite frankly. I would consider Pakistan to be a weak state because they still have growing democracy. It's a country of 190 million people, so it's a very strategic, very important country. It's the only Muslim nuclear power. So in that aspect, it's also very important. But the Pakistani Taliban, which are, by the way, different from Afghan Taliban. Okay. Completely different group. Completely different group. They are trying to destabilize Pakistan just because the Pakistanis have decided to side with the international community in Afghanistan and take part in the war on terror, attack Al-Qaeda and Afghan Taliban bases. That's one aspect of it or one of the aspects. Mm -hmm. The other aspect is the Pakistani paranoia itself. The Pakistanis are really concerned with all the Indian movement in Afghanistan. To give you an idea, so far the Indians have invested close to $2 billion in Afghanistan. Now, quite frankly, uh, Justin, $2 billion is not that much of an amount. But given the size and the economy of, of a country like Afghanistan, $2 billion is a lot of money. Right. They have invested in uh, creating this Afghan parliament building. They're investing uh, that money in creating roads in Afghanistan, uh, schools in Afghanistan. But more importantly, they're also establishing these huge Indian consulate complexes neighboring with Pakistan border where the Pakistani security apparatus feels like they are being threatened not only from the eastern side which is the India-Pakistan border but now also from the western side which is the Afghanistan-Pakistan border and they feel like that all these Pakistani Taliban are being supported by the outside forces. Like India, perhaps. It, like the India, perhaps, absolutely. Now, the jury is still out there. I don't want to necessarily say that India is definitely supporting Pakistan Taliban. There are some reports by Western intelligence which do blame the Indian government and its Indian intelligence agency called RAW, Research Analysis Wing, for creating this chaos in Pakistan by supporting indirectly the Pakistan Taliban. Hmm. So we have these, we have all these factors in, in Afghanistan. What I'm really curious as to what's going to happen post 2014 when we start leaving Afghanistan completely. Granted, we are still going to have about 20 to 30,000 American forces primarily in uh, advising role to the Afghan security establishment, but still they're not going to be in a combat mode. The world community is still waiting to see what's going to happen in 2014. Is Afghanistan going to go back to its old ways where these individual Afghan Taliban tribal groups are fighting among themselves, bringing back the civil war, mm -hmm. just like they did after the withdrawal of the Soviets in, the, in 1989? Or are they going to behave themselves this time and try to grow and better themselves by practicing democracy and enrich their own economy so that they can become useful part of the international community. So those are some of the challenges we are going to face. But uh, of all those challenges, security, of course, is number one issue. 
And number two, these competing powers, which are outside Afghanistan border itself, they're trying to compete for the influence in the Afghan capital, Kabul itself. So those are some of the issues we need to watch out for. And as an American, what we should be looking for is to support those groups who truly want peace and stability in Afghanistan and help resolve these regional issues which haunts Afghanistan's peace and prosperity because enough chaos has been done in Afghanistan. It would be uh, an injustice not only to the Afghans themselves but to the humanity that if the chaos keeps going on. Oh, I see. See, actually there's a couple of things I'd like to uh, ask you some more about. Something you mentioned earlier about Kashmir. Apparently the, in the Pakistan-India conflict is definitely right in the middle of the whole Afghan situation. What's the history with Kashmir? How did that dispute originally start? Well, a good question, Justin. And quite frankly, a lot of people don't, in the Western community especially, they don't realize how... Cap there's a Led Zeppelin song, that's about all I have. <laughs> <laughs> how, how important Kashmir is to Afghanistan. To give you a little short background on Kashmir, Kashmir is a disputed territory between India and Pakistan. Uh, when both these countries became independent, they got their independence from Britain in 1947, the rule was that any Muslim populated areas would join Pakistan and any Hindu populated areas would remain with India. In case with Kashmir, Kashmir was a Muslim populated area, mm. though its ruler, the Maharaja, was a Hindu. So out of his selfish reasons, the Maharaja seceded to India. Okay. Despite his population is mostly Muslim, Absolutely. he went to India of his, own, of his own choice. He's just defected, literally. Absolutely. After post-agreement. Okay. Absolutely. And that's where the whole debacle or the dispute started. And since 1947, India and Pakistan have fought three bloody wars. They have also had quite a few border skirmishes to these freedom fighters who are fighting for independence or uh, joining Pakistan. And these are local freedom fighters from Kashmir. Now, of course, there are some reports where they are getting some sort of official support in terms of uh, ammunition from the Pakistani government, even though Pakistani government just keeps saying that we are only providing them with moral support. Mm -hmm. But the ground reality is that the Pakistanis are providing much more than just the moral support. Some sort of uh, normality has come to Kashmir since early 2000s, and that is one of the reasons why you see Pakistani government and the Indian government negotiating these days. And the chances of uh, having a, a prolonged peace in that part of the world is ever brighter than before. But it still holds a large shadow on Afghanistan itself. And like I said before, we cannot truly resolve the Afghan issue till we resolve the bilateral relationship between India and Pakistan. And Obama administration is not oblivious to this fact. Quite frankly, President Obama knows how important the relationship between India and Pakistan is to bringing peace in Afghanistan. However, for political reasons, President Obama has decided not to get involved in the bilateral relations between the Indian government and the Pakistani government and just deal with the Afghan issue 
directly. So it's not that the Obama administration is oblivious to the ground reality. I truly believe that President Obama is smart enough to realize that you cannot bring long-term stability and peace in Afghanistan till you resolve the disputed issue of Kashmir between India and Pakistan. The only problem is the vested interests of these different competing lobbying firms, quite frankly, on K Street in Washington, D.C., which have held back or in some way pressurized the Obama administration in not directly forcing India and Pakistan to resolve their issue. Ergo, that Kashmir dispute still goes on while we have this chaos in Afghanistan. I see. One other thing you mentioned, uh, you mentioned the three, I guess, cultures of people that live in Afghanistan, the Pashtuns, the Tajiks, and... Uzbeks. The Uzbeks. And what's, what's their base conflict? Is it just because Pashtuns are mostly Pakistani and the Tajiks and the Uzbeks are mostly Indian in descent? Or is there something more cultural or religious about it? Very good question, Justin. Well, we have these three ethnicities in Afghanistan. We have Pashtuns, which comprises the largest number of local Afghan population. About 60% of Afghan population is Pashtun. Then we have Uzbeks. They go all the way back to from Uzbekistan. Okay. And then we also have Tajiks, which goes all the way back to Tajikistan. Right. So we have these three different ethnicities. During the Cold War, these three ethnicities got together and fought the Soviets. But once the Soviets left or were defeated, forced to leave Afghanistan, these three different factions started fighting among themselves for control of Kabul and the government itself. And that's where the whole problem started. The Pakistanis, because of their own vested interests, decided to support the Pashtuns, A, because they were the largest number of ethnicity in Afghanistan, uh, and B, because Pakistan itself has a large population of Pashtuns. So that's the reason they decided to support Pashtuns. Okay. The Indians decided to support the Tajiks and the Uzbeks. And the reason for that was Amachah Masood was a Tajik who had received his college education in India while he was in exile and uh, was heavily influenced by the Indian government. So the Indian government was hoping that somehow the, the Tajiks led by Amachah Masood would be able to establish an Afghan government and hence giving the Indians a large influence in that part of the world. And that's why you see all this problem. The Iranians, even though they do have a large border with Afghanistan, decided to support the Uzbeks primarily uh, because uh, Iran is a Shiite Muslim country and so were Uzbeks. Abdul Rashid Dostum, uh, who was a warlord by the way, and so the Iranians decided to support uh, the Hazaras, the Uzbeks, and part of uh, Tajiks as well. All the Hazaras, the Uzbeks, the Tajiks, they were led by what they called Northern Allies. The Northern Allies was fighting the, the Pashtuns or the Taliban, which back in the heyday during the Soviet occupation, we used to call them Mujahideen, uh, mm -hmm. supported and funded by the CIA, the Saudis, the Pakistanis, and quite frankly, any Western government. But once the Soviets left Afghanistan and the Western world felt like the job was done and we pulled out of Afghanistan, the same Mujahideen, heavily armed, 
heavily trained, unemployed, they decided to, you know, take the cause a step further and created the Taliban movement, which uh, swept Afghanistan in early 1996. So we have these internal competing factions. Then we also have these outside competing factions, which are trying to gain influence in Kabul. And that's the reason that a superpower like the U.S. is still not able to bring peace and stability in Afghanistan, even though we have been there for almost 11 years. Well, that is very insightful. A whole lot of that issue I was not aware of with the Pakistani-Indian conflict and how much it weighs in in the in different cultures of the area. So, oh, absolutely. And uh, like I said, uh, we just need to wait till uh, the end of 2014 and see what the outcome is going to be. I spoke with quite a few Pakistani officials. What they're really concerned about is that Afghanistan turning back to its old self where they have a civil war going on and all these Afghan refugees coming to Pakistan again destabilizing their economy. Mm -hmm. uh, they would definitely prefer not to have that situation again. And that is one of the reasons that after a seven-month prolonged dispute between the U.S. government and Pakistan government, they have decided to open the ground lines of communication, what the Pentagon officially calls the G-Locks, so that the American officials and the NATO forces can start withdrawing using, the, using those G-Locks. Okay. I remember you spoke about that a couple of weeks ago. It's nice that that uh, starting to make some progress. Uh, absolutely. The American officials and the Pakistani officials have made tremendous amount of uh, progress on that issue. And, uh, of course, the Pakistani government only decided to open those uh, ground lines of communications after the American administration apologized for killing 24 Pakistani soldiers in a friendly fire on the Salala check post in Pakistan back on November 27, 2011. So that was a big stumbling block, but uh, the good news is that both the American officials and the Pakistani officials have decided to move on from that issue and look at the bigger picture and try to bring peace and stability in Afghanistan. The good part also is that the Pakistanis have decided not to charge any transit fee on trucks going in or out of Afghanistan. So that, that is a big good news, quite frankly, to the American government. According to recent report, the Pentagon was paying an additional $100 million each month for using Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kazakhstan routes, the Nurban routes. And since this issue has been resolved, the Americans will be saving a lot more money and hopefully that money will be diverted to development projects in Afghanistan. That would be, that would be very good. Hopefully that has happened. But, but again, uh, we'll have to wait and see as to what happens in 2014 when all the forces leave. Till then, keep listening to theworldaccordingtoali.com. I'm your host, Zulfikar Ali, and with me is my producer, Justin Boyd.